into removing addiction and healing mental health. In this new weekly podcast series, you'll be hearing from healers and experts in removing addiction and improving overall mental health. Now here's your host, MC Counselling's Mike Carroll. Today I'm joined by Dr. Scott Walkman, whom the Anxiety and Depression Association of America describe as a clinician, international trainer and practice-based researcher. His interests include evidence-based psychotherapy practice, training and implementation in systems that provide care to underserved populations. He's certified as a qualified cognitive therapist and trainer consultant by the Academy of Cognitive and Behavioural Therapies. He is also board certified in behavioural and cognitive psychology from the American Board of Professional Psychology. More recently, Dr. Walkman worked as a CT trainer for one of Dr. Aaron Beck's CBT implementation teams in the Philadelphia public mental health system. Currently, he works as a clinical psychologist in private practice and a managed care system where he is a frontline clinician and practice-based researcher. Clinically, Dr. Waltman strives to flexibly and compassionately apply cognitive and behavioural interventions to help people overcome the barriers in their lives, to facilitate building meaningful lives that are guided by passion and values, which is definitely one of the main reasons I wanted Scott to be a guest on Removing Addiction and Healing Mental oh, Health. Nice. It's also the way that you present on social media, namely Instagram, as a cool person. So, Scott, welcome to the show. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited. That's quite the intro. I feel like, oh, who is that guy? That guy sounds cool. <laughs> you certainly are cool. And, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, was one of obviously the, st- the counseling styles that I studied at uni. I loved it, Scott, because uh, it was action focused. And during my gambling addiction days, uh, it was very helpful to help me quit my addiction to the Queen of the Nile or the Pyramid gaming machines. I was also I was so obsessive compulsive that I'd only play those particular machines. I wouldn't play anything else. Um, and it is probably one of the most known, um, you know, counselling modalities or styles across the world. Um, yeah. And you know, and you've really taken it to the world and to some of the most needy populations, which I absolutely love. Scott, what is it about like CBT that you love? Yeah, well, what I like um, as a CBT therapist, the reason I like it is it's very uh, straightforward. It's very transparent. A goal of CBT is to teach the client to be their own therapist. So I don't have to have a poker face, right? I was previously psychodynamically trained and it's a lot harder because you have to like, there's like, there's like secrets and you have like secret agendas and there's things you're trying to do. And it just takes a lot longer. And I'd much rather be like, look, Here's what we know. Here's how it works. Here's where I'm doing this. Here's how you do it. Because people usually people spend like three to six to nine years suffering before they come in and see us. They, we don't want to take the scenic route. I, whatever is the fastest way to get there. That's that's what I want to do. So that's why I like it. Oh, I absolutely love that. Now you've been trained. You train people in CVT. You've also mm-hmm. written books, countless articles. But have you been on the mm-hmm. other end of the therapist chair? Like, have you had CBT mm-hmm. used on yourself? I have, I have. Um, I think it's, it's important as a therapist to be to, to do your own work as well, both so you know what it's like, um, also just so it's just part of being a human is is, is going through therapy. So yeah, I think um, actually, if you read my book, you can read in chapter one. There's an account of this 
young therapists going through their own therapy and kind of how Socratic questioning helped them. And that's obviously me. If you're reading the book, you're like, oh, this, this sounds like it's him. So. Yeah, yeah, totally. And just tell us a little bit about your book. Oh, I wrote a book. Oh, exciting. I get to plug my book. I'm <laughs> so excited to be here. This is cool. This is cool. So I don't know if there's if there's a, a video on, the, on this podcast or not, but here's what it looks like pretty right uh, so it's called uh, socratic questioning for therapists and counselors so it's uh, essentially a guidebook for therapists and counselors to learn how to use socratic questioning really well um so as, as you mentioned i've been on a, a number of cbt training teams and what mm-hmm. we found is that um socratic questioning is a really hard skill to learn in fact we did research on this we, we found that it's um the skill that when people are learning cbt it's the hardest thing for them to learn and then when they get uh, um, a lot of attention paid to it they still have a hard time getting the hang of it and so me and some other trainers, we put our heads together, we did some more research and we, we functionally retooled the way we taught the skill. So, so previously there was a lot of focus on trying to change the client's mind, trying to show the client where they're wrong, which doesn't really work, right? When people try and show you why you're wrong, you tend to kind of dig in like, who the hell are you? Yeah. What, what is going on? <laughs> totally. So essentially it's a, it's a refocusing on trying to first see it from the client's perspective in, in a phenomenological way. So subjective and object. So not just purely rational, but emotionally, how does this make sense from the person's life experience? How does this make sense? And then when we see it from their point of view, we can try and expand that point of view together, right? What are they not seeing? What do they not know? And how can we then have a, a collaborative empiricism? That's fantastic. And we will of course have a link to where people can buy that book. So oh, cool. it's, gr- it's great to have you on the show. And like mm-hmm. when we look at counseling, when we look at mental health, do you think that um, we can improve the world's mental health system through a podcast by letting people hear different modalities, different styles of counseling, different ways that um, you know mental health can be delivered to people? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that there's a lot of ways that you can improve the, the world's mental health and mental health system through a podcast. I mean, this is a great way to communicate ideas and really make it um, in, a, in a human, in a, a palatable and organiz- or, um, digestible format. Because mm-hmm. right? there's people that you'll reach with this with this podcast that I, w- I would never reach through my practice. There's and there's people who are, who are doing the, the work, but but um, can can really benefit from supplementing the work through learning about all, the, all these other points of view. I think what, what you the thing to think about is trying to. Think about, well, what are these different theories? What are these different practices? What are these different routes towards healing? And then trying to understand, well, how does this work? Right? What's the mechanism for it? Mm-hmm. And if you can explain, here's the active ingredient, here's how the active ingredient works, here's what you can do about it, then I think there's a chance for people to really get nourished by listening. Mm, oh, perfect. I love that. Thank you so much for that input. And I, I think, too, that like with addiction, um, mm-hmm. we talk about them being in recovery, but it's just a bit like what you were saying before. It's like if, if we say that somebody's in recovery, it's like they could always go back to it. But if we could remove addiction, which I think CBT can do very effectively, and that's talking from a personal as well as a professional opinion, um, because it did for me with you know changing some of the ways that I think. But then with your book, you've gone a step further saying that sometimes that doesn't necessarily work, but if we if we're to actually you know, have all those researches that you had and, and did your, you know, wrote, wrote your book for therapists where we're, we're taking CBT to the next level. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I mean, the, the, the basic idea of CBT is, is, you know, learning to mentally take a step back, take a look at your thought processes, your behavior processes, and try and figure out, well, here's what I've been telling myself for decades. Is this really true? Do I really believe this? Is this working for me? And trying to f- find a new way, a new way of thinking and a new way of being. 
So, so there is very good evidence, you know, that neuroplasticity is a thing that cognitive therapy does lead to rewiring of the brain that, um, you know, while the, the, the old neural pathways don't necessarily go away with new, with new learning, new pathways can strengthen and then there can be a, sh- a shifting. So some of the, the recent advances in the, the cognitive model, Beck pu- published a great paper on this in 2014, generic cognitive uh, model. Awesome paper. Um, and in it, he, he was talking about these advances where it's not just negative core beliefs, it's not just negative schema, but people also have positive core beliefs that exist, right? They maybe aren't active because they're actively symptomatic, but if we can activate those positive belief systems, if we, we can strengthen from this, there's, there's a lot of reasons to think that we can um, take it from not just take it from a symptom focused perspective to a, a person focused perspective to a health perspective to a healing perspective, like you're saying. That's absolutely perfect. Now, with like people getting a mental health diagnosis, can we re-educate people? It looks like you're doing that and update our thinking and our beliefs on what we have been led to believe about like a mental health diagnosis defining someone. Like I think you're very lucky in America and America's very much further afield in terms of mental health than we are here in Australia. And I think it's really important for us to be able to have different ways to be able to define our sense of self instead of it being, you know, through a mental health diagnosis. What are your thoughts in regards to that, Scott? Yeah, I think it's important to think about a, a, a diagnosis. I mean, while there can be a label with it, it, it doesn't work well if it is a label. If it becomes an identity, if it becomes part of who someone is, then that's stigmatizing. That's going to keep people from coming in. Really, the the diagnosis exists as a way to help us think about what's going on so we, so we can know, hey, other people have had similar problems. These solutions, these solutions have worked for them. So if, if someone has a diagnosis, it, that doesn't, it doesn't detail the totality of who they are. Um, I, I, mean, I think there is a lot of work to, to still be done, even here in the States, related to reducing stigma. Um, oddly, oddly enough, although the, although social media is really like a double-edged sword, right? There's a lot of things about social media that really helps mm. um, decrease stigma, helps people get more information. And at the same time, there is kind of this like rich gets richer kind of thing where people see this filtered view of the world and they see the highlights of other people's lives and then they see the lows of their own life and they can feel really alone. They can feel really like it's just worse for them than it is for everyone else because social media is helpful, but it's not always a real reality. And that, that can be really isolating, especially with this ongoing pandemic that we're stuck in where everyone is increasingly in a virtual world. And as we speak, as we record this podcast, Scott, uh, Victoria, mm-hmm. Australia has been in the, the longest lockdown in the world i think it is something like that it's been absolutely crazy for for victorians mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. um and and just i suppose also the change of thinking and with people if we're talking about lockdown and talking about the pandemic mm-hmm. that have not necessarily had to deal with any parts of their mental health or or, or known how to mm-hmm. work with what's going on for them. And I think, you know, this is a great opportunity and, and obviously thank you so much for your time, but to be able to, to to express to people that, you know, help is available and we've got, you know, we've got to, we don't have to do anything. But what is what would be fantastic to do is to remove that stigma from mm-hmm. mental health that, that you guys in America seem to really have done quite successfully. 
What do you think is the key for us here in Australia to be able to, and obviously this is going all over the world, but it is being recorded in Sea Spray, which is you know, the 90-mile beach in, in Gippsland, Victoria. Um, but you know, what is it that we could do, that, that your suggestions, to, 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 to improve or remove that stigma from people you know, seeking mental health support? Yeah. Awesome question. I love that. I, I think, you. you know, the data shows that really get, um, the, the change happens on a personal level, right? So when people don't know anyone from a, a particular group or from setting as a particular condition or particular struggles, it's easy to create these narratives about kind of them being other, this being a different reality. But as, as, real people come forward and talk about their real experiences that you empower someone else to come forward and talk about their real experiences. And, and really it's people uh, having vulnerability, sharing what they've been through and that empowers other people to have vulnerability and share what they've been through and person, person by person, conversation by conversation. That's, that's how the stigma comes down. That's, that's the hard thing about it. There's not like a, a, um, a one action we can do, but as a society, we built the stigma through conversations and through harshness and through fear. And we have to take apart the stigma through conversations and compassion and vulnerability and bravery. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to, but, but conversation by conversation, it happens. And it's exciting to see happening. Yeah, definitely exciting to see happen. And, and also in the same breath, you know, difficult to do when we're in lockdown, isn't it? Because, oh yes. you know, a lot of, you know, and of course I'm just speaking very generally here. It's not the case for everybody, mm-hmm. but lots of, you know, guys aren't necessarily going to get on Zoom and do a Zoom mm-hmm. call, do FaceTime like the like mm-hmm. women tend to do more frequently. And mm-hmm. when you're not actually seeing your mates, you know, to, to actually talk about these things, it makes it even more difficult. I know in the times that we haven't been in lockdown that I've caught up with my mates, the conversations are very different. Um, mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I think they're having a go at me for, 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 for counselling and stuff, but then I realise that it's actually <laughs> them reaching out, you know, to mm-hmm. be like, you, you never speak like this to me, like what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm definitely noticing it with my friends and mm-hmm. I just think anything that we can do to, to reduce that stigma of, picking up the phone and giving someone a call just to say hi, to talk about actually how you're feeling um, mm-hmm. and also, you know, a mental health professional, um, you know, to be able to, to, to get some support, you know, if it, if it is medication that you need, to be able to get something to, to help you, but also looking at, at holistic ways um, mm-hmm. to, to improve mental health because it really is something that, that I believe and one of the big reasons, you know, with my clients that, that I see, um, that 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 we that they've even just to contact me, it's been a massive thing, you know. And I, I want to want to be able to make it an easier option for people to be able to to pick up that phone, to to go on that website, to be able to to help pe- to help themselves. Because you know, as I've said before in the in the intro, we only have one life. Let's make sure. it your best, and and you you know helping some of the world's most vulnerable vulnerable populations as well, which I think is is absolutely amazing. Do you have anything else, Scott, that you'd like to add to this podcast today in relation to you know some of the things you've been doing, some of the articles you've you've you, you've read or you've you know you've obviously written as well, or, or even in, in regards to lockdown and and how you found in America um, dealing with it, and and maybe some suggestions for us here in Australia. Oh, I like that. I, mean, I think one of the advantages um, the U.S. had, as far as with, with the, the ongoing pandemic, there hasn't been a lot. But I think one of them has been it's uh, we, we kind of hit stride and kind of stayed in the stride. So there's kind of more of um, of an adjustment to it, right? People fell into 
uh, hobbies and patterns of, of things where they where it wasn't. I think places where they, they kept opening and closing and opening and closing. It was mm-hmm. almost like um, tearing the bandaid off again and again and again and again. It almost seems to be harder for folks than places where it wasn't that kind of stop, start, stop, start. Um, here, what, what we saw was initially during the pandemic, people really kind of liked it, right? They weren't really going to the office. It was nice. They were making sourdough bread. Uh, they, they weren't really, really talking to people, but that was okay because they were all kind of tired. And then like a few months in, there was this kind of like, blah, that kind of hit people because they were so detached, right? Because they, they they were enjoying being detached from the things they didn't like, right? Being away from traffic, which everyone hates, being away from your coworkers, which some people like, some people, even if you like coworkers, sometimes it's just association, they're at work, and so you'd rather not deal with them. Mm. Um, but but then there was this point where they, they were disconnected from the positives, right? And so that that's where it really hit people. So, so a few months in, there was this like big boom in depression where a lot of folks were like, I've never been depressed in my life, mm. but like, I don't feel good. And I don't know why, I don't know what's going on. I mean, what's different now? And then, and then, so we were working to help get people um, active, more engaged in their life, more socially connected. But, but there is, but I think there's still a lot of uncertainty related to kind of how long is this going to go on? What's life going to be like after this? Um, economically, are we going to be able to recover from this? And uncertainty really breeds, really breeds a lot of anxiety and people tend to kind of fixate, fixate on it. And then um, a lot of people have spent a lot more time on like Twitter and watching the news at home. And that's, mm-hmm. if you took things that in your life that were like nourishing, enjoyable, um, like spiritually good for you, or physically good for you. And then you replace that with like consuming mass amounts of cable news. Mm. That is like going from eating like organic food to eating only fast food. And very, very quickly it's going to catch up with you. You're going to feel just terrible. Definitely. And, and especially to when you, you've got more time and, you know, we've obviously got lots of families that have had mm-hmm. businesses for generations that now no longer have them. And as you mm-hmm. say, they haven't dealt with depression before. It hasn't been something that's been part of them. And, and it's, it's, understanding what it is for a start because they're feeling different. They don't know what it is necessarily depression. They, they hear the mm-hmm. word thrown around all the time. But it's mm-hmm. um it, it's been, you know, very interesting here, I think, probably because and I don't want to be get too political here, but but in just in regards to our the uncertainty of our government and our states basically controlling lockdowns. And people not feeling content with, or you know, that there's this. The government knows what they're doing. Let alone, you know, one one minute we're saying yeah. wear face masks, the next we're saying we're saying not. So I don't think that that helps it. It seems to be in America, as you say, you're in lockdown for a, you know for a period, then then you're out. We're in and out of it. Um, what do you think people can can do? I mean, obviously. We've talked about not using, you know, TV, get, getting away from it. I always say, mm-hmm. as often as I can on social and, and with my clients, don't look at the news. You know, we've got an emergency services app here in Australia where, you know, you can just get alerts, uh, you know, once a day just to hear what's, mm-hmm. you know, if if the area you're in is affected. Otherwise, do positive things for your own mental health, um, go out, get get that exercise in the two-hour period that they allow us um, within 5Ks, depending on what state you're in, um, of Australia. You know, it's kind of like, it's a little bit confusing, but uh-huh. but, it, but it also, it's almost like state against state um, because especially Victoria and, and in Melbourne, like I'm in, I'm in almost the country, I suppose you'd say, it's two to three hours uh, out of Melbourne. So regional hasn't been in lockdown as, as much, but... For yourself, Scott, and and for like 
how you've helped people in America. Do you have any further advice as to how, you know, people that, you know, we're coming out of lockdown in Sydney next uh, next week, obviously when this is recorded, they will be out of lockdown. Do you have any advice for people to, to be able to, to protect themselves better or, or, or just to protect their mental health? What, what would you say there? Yeah, well, I would, I would, I mean, I think mental health wise, I mean, the, the goal would be to, make a decision about what you're going to do, follow your decision and then not fall into the, the pattern of second guessing yourself and relitigating this decision over and over and over again. Cause rumination is, is a perfect way to be perfectly miserable. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, if we think about, you know, how these past two, really almost two years have been, which is crazy to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, we can think about like how it's affected your life. It, it might be useful to think about behavioral activation as, as a principle, but then what it really is, right? So behavioral activation is a, is a standard tre- standard behavioral treatment for depression. It's often oversimplified to be get active, feel better, which is really not what behavioral activation is. It's, so people will say like, go for a run, you'll feel better. And for some people, that's what it is. But there's plenty of people who exercise a lot and are very, very depressed. And it's not, it's not just that exercise is what you need to not be depressed. But really behavioral activation is a principle of trying to figure out what is missing from your life you know, what are the, what trying to track in a given week, you know, what are the, the very best parts and what are the very worst parts? What, um, the stuff that I enjoy the most, why do I enjoy this? Why is this so good? The stuff that I really hate, why do I hate this so much? And then seeing practically where can I make changes for some people, the things that they hate the most might be when they're, when they have large amounts of times by themselves, they're overthinking, they're over consuming media, they're, really um, being passively instead of actively entertained. And that might be a, a great place to make some changes. I love that. Uh, passively compared to actively entertained. That's that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it, it makes so much sense, Scott, but it's not something that you necessarily think about, is it? Like, as you said before, social media mm-hmm. can be great, but it can also be really bad, you know, depending mm-hmm. on what's going on. And, you know, we, we're not seeing, you know, in, in Australia, say with my friends, we're not seeing them with the family doing their things on the weekend because they're not. You know, and definitely the likes are down if you're having fun because they're not. And it's almost like, to a degree, it's the opposite because it's the people that are, I'm not saying loners, but like say maybe live by themselves or or don't like that activity with lots of people are doing really, really well um, or or not, not minding it as much. But then there's the other side of it where there are, as you say, there are people that are being passive with their entertainment and mm-hmm. just absorbing it and not really having anything, anything to do with it. Um, is, is, has that been the case in, in America? Um, have, you, have you found that that's been something that you've had to deal with, with your practice, with your, with some of your clients? Yeah. I think there's a lot of people who really like did a lot of like Hulu and Netflix binging and loved it for a few months. And then there was this point where they were like, okay, I can't do this anymore. What am I going to do with my life? Mm. And then everyone was doing like home improvements and then like all the home improvement stuff was sold out. And that's um, so, but yeah, but if we think about kind of like as a human, what do we know humans need um, Mm. to be, to actively be not depressed as far from a behavioral perspective, right? You need sure. reinforcement in your life. But you need three kinds of reinforcement, right? You need fun. It's, so not just work, but play. Play is, is a normal human need. It's an adult need. Everyone needs active recreation. They need to have enjoyment, spontaneity in their life. If, if that's not happening in your life, that's probably the first thing to work on. People need social connection. So even if you're introverted and you don't necessarily want a lot of social connection, you still need some level of connection. We're, we're, we're a tribal, we're a tribal species. It's important for us to have connection and interconnection. 
Sure. And then people need mastery. People need to, to, to have this place thing where they're challenging themselves, they're growing, they're developing, they're learning new skills. And that's what people have really lost with too much passive entertainment where, where they, maybe they're having fun, but they're not really, it's unfulfilling. Mm -hmm. And then we, and then we fall into kind of the spiritual realm of unfulfillment and what am I doing with my life and what's really going on for me. And that's, I think where, where a lot of people are really um, hurting right now is because they, they, they've, they've, they've been stagnated. They haven't had the same options. It's easy for them to be angry at the, uh, um, the people who make the decisions for not having the options, but being angry, but blaming them doesn't solve your problem. Mm. And that's, that's the dilemma, right? Cause it, it's a lot of people are in a bad situation. That's not their fault, but it not being their fault. Isn't going to solve it. No one's coming to rescue you. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. I, lo I love that. I, I love everything you've said today. I really appreciate your time joining us on the podcast, removing addiction and healing mental health, because I do believe that we that we can make a difference, and 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 it's up to every one of us who has that capacity mm -hmm. to be able to do that. And as you say, if you are an introvert, to still spend time with some people, do what you can to connect, mm -hmm. because we are a tribe, and and mm -hmm. as a tribe, we need to do what we can to to help each other. Scott Waltman, Dr. Scott Waltman, I really appreciate your time on the podcast oh, today. Thanks oh, so much. Hang, oh, oh, yes. Hang on, let, me introduce, let me introduce you to my dog real fast. Oh, I, don't, I don't know if you could hear her running around, but this is my dog, Layla. Oh, is hello, she, Layla. It was so is funny because I was trying to like, crazy? I was trying to like, the, these levels are a bit funny, but it was the dog. <laughs> it was the dog, yeah. She's she just kind of rooting around. I was like, oh, God, please don't start barking. That's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Scott, thanks so much for your time, and we'll we'll do this again soon. And um, I will see you on Instagram, and of course, all your Instagram handles and and other bits and pieces that you can get in touch with Dr. Scott Watman will be there. I'm Mike Carroll. Thanks for your time. We'll talk soon. There are many ways to removing addiction from your life, and many ways to improve your overall mental health. It is our hope that we've opened your mind to seeing another way to live your best life. This has been Removing Addiction and Improving Mental Health. Join Mike Carroll next week for another episode.